My mocking voice from Mark chapter 15 verses 16 to 32. So this morning on Good Friday as we ponder the events of Calvary, the, as, as believers we, we should not find it too difficult to immerse ourselves into the story. In this regard, it's good for us to think about the words that we've just actually sung, that were written by Stuart Townend, who who wrote this very well-known song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, especially this, this verse, these lines. Behold the man upon the cross, my sin upon his shoulders. Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice call out, among the scoffers. What is it to mock someone? The dictionary tells us that to mock someone is to show contempt, deride, to make fun of them, ridicule, scoff, taunt and jeer. Why do people do this? How, why do they behave like this? Just from the top of my head, one reason is for entertainment purposes. By that I mean that it is often done in the company of others, rarely by an individual on his own. It's to to show off in front of your mates, in front of your peers. TV sitcoms get plenty of mileage by the the humour of mocking others especially uh, American type of of humour. And if you don't know when to laugh, then there's a pre-recorded laughter that they press the button and there's all these people laughing in the audience, they record that, and that that prompts you to laugh because it's a joke, you've got to laugh. And you laugh along with it, like an idiot, because it's supposed to be funny, even when it's not. It is obviously an attempt to be funny, to, to get attention, Now, the entertainment industry, therefore, they do it for ratings. And when we hear it on the street, we hear it in the school grounds, it is also for ratings. What do you mean? Well, to be popular amongst your friends. That's also for ratings. So you're standing amongst them and say, hey, it's pretty funny, he's he's cool, you know? to be popular in front of your peers. A more sinister reason, a more sinister reason, of course, we mock others for revenge. A few years ago, we saw this during the Iraq war, about 20 years ago now, where there were terrible, there were terrible pictures emerged from the Abu Abu Ghraib jail about how some American soldiers mocked and humiliated their captured prisoners. They had their faces covered and then people would come around them and mock them. And it was filmed. Of course this caused outrage around the world because we don't want to we don't want to behave like animals. Despite the seriousness of the crimes of the prisoners, we don't You know, surely as humans we have to be beyond that. And yet now in the the Russian conflict and so many 
innocent people dying in the streets of Ukraine, around the outskirts of Kiev. We see it again. Some There are signs of torture and children killed and girls raped and murdered and left to die. You're saying, how is that possible? You're a sophisticated society. We're supposed to be civilised. I thought we were beyond that. But obviously we haven't. Now this mocking that Jesus had to endure was as intense as it was relentless. From the moment that his trial began to the moment that he gave up his spirit on the cross, the mocking did not stop. And from the Gospel writers we see that the mockers were all different types of people from all different walks of life. Each of them mocking with their own reason for doing so. So I ask myself, what is it that Jesus did? How horrible was he that he deserved this type of treatment to cause them to react like this? Who does this? What is it that drove these people to show such contempt for someone who was sentenced to die anyway? Why continue to stick the boot the booting while the guy is not resisting, he's already just helpless. As far as you know, what, what is it? What, why continue this? This behaviour. And yet, while I'm, I suppose I'm, I'm pointing the finger at these groups, as in the song that we just sung, I can hear my own mocking, mocking voice. I can hear my own mocking voice because I'm there among the scoffers. I include myself. And you say, no, nah, I'm better than that. Really? First of all, the soldiers mocked Jesus. They mocked his kingship. Verses 16 to 20. The soldiers led Jesus away to the palace, the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They they put a purple robe on him and twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and they spat on him, falling on their knees. They paid homage. They paid homage to him and they, they mocked him. They took off the purple robe and put his own clothes on him and they led him, led him out to crucify him. Pontius Pilate, give him a small amount of credit, that he was trying to look for a way out. Wanting to appease the crowd, however, he couldn't. And finally, Pilate had to condemn Jesus as a false king, king of the Jews. So once Pilate handed Jesus over to the, to the soldiers, they, they, they took him into the palace where the soldiers were going to give him the royal treatment. 
You need to understand that soldiers, if anybody here has served in the army, you will know what I'm talking about, that you follow orders all the time. There, there is no questioning or whatever, you just simply have to follow orders. Orders are, are to be obeyed, obeyed. Your, to your sergeant, your superiors, all that. Yes sir, no sir. So, when your superiors tell you they hand over to someone to you and you say, do what you want with him, it's all systems go. They just release. There's a, there's a release because it's a free-for-all. There's no moral restraint. They let loose. This is what happens in armies when they have days off, right? They, they get released, they're on mission and suddenly they have a few days off. They just, oh, you know what goes on. So there they call their comrades for a little bit of fun by mocking his kingship. Mark says they call together the whole company of soldiers. The whole company of soldiers would have been about between 300 and 600 men. Think about it. And you can see that this was no small affair. They all wanted a piece of the action because they all had to show off in front of the others. And after Jesus had been flogged to an inch of his death, the Roman soldiers took an old cloak and put it over his bloody back and, and shoulders to look like a royal robe. They grabbed some thorns growing on a nearby tree, probably the acacia tree, and they twisted them into, into a crown for his head and they, they make sure that they pierce the top of his skull. And then they made a mockery of honouring his, his regal king this bowing down and shouting to him. They had a staff and they just hit him over the head with it. Hail, King of the Jews! And they approached as if to, to, to kiss him on the face as you would a king and instead of kissing him, they spat on him. They spat on his face and struck him on the head again and again. Now this mock homage that they paid probably expressed as much contempt for the Jews in general as it did for Jesus. The Jews hadn't had a real king since Herod the Great, you see, and and the Roman soldiers implied that this weak, pitiful figure is just the kind of king that they deserve. For them, nothing compared, obviously, as proud Roman soldiers, nothing compared to the glory, to the power of Rome. And now we're going to show it to them. This is what we're going to do to your king. And when they finished mocking him, they they yanked the purple robe and put on his own own clothes on him and led him off to to be crucified. And it was customary for the executioners to once they put him on the cross to lay claim to the possessions of the prisoners because clothes were very expensive. Very expensive. 
You only probably had one pair of clothes for most of your life. It's not like today you can, you know, you don't know what to do with all the clothes that you have. Now famous artists through the centuries when they paint Jesus on the cross, they, they gave Jesus a bit of modesty. They wanted to protect his modesty by leaving a, a cloth wrapped around Jesus' private area. But to remember that these executioners were seeking maximum humiliation. So Jesus hung there totally naked on a cross. Because they took all, they gamble all these clothes anyway. Now there's no question Jesus was a different kind of king. He told, told my, my kingdom is not of this world. But nevertheless they had to they had to anoint him. They anointed him with spit, crowned him with thorns and his throne was a cross. It's no wonder that they didn't see his true royalty and I'm afraid that if I had been one of these soldiers, I probably would have done the same. I too would want to show off in front of my peers. And that is exactly what Stuart Townend, in the words of the song, is trying to express that in how deep the Father's love. We all hear our own mocking voices amongst the scoffers because we, we know this is real. This is what happens when you get a mob together. This when the mob rules. All reasoning goes out the window. But I want to move you to a different scene. From that scene of Calvary, we move to a different place that the Apostle John describes in heaven. A place where his true royalty is and will be recognised for all of eternity. No beginning and no end. It is found in the book of Revelations and by the way, just as before I read this, I want to give you what the total is, the mathematical sum. 10,000 times 10,000. It's a lot of angels. In fact, it's a hundred million angels. Romans, uh, sorry, Revelation chapter 5 verses 11 to 13. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sung, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing. Every creature, all the... Remember last Sunday? All creatures, great and small. Singing. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. You get the point. 
very different to what happened in the praetorium, isn't it? The people mocked his power. So the soldiers mocked his kingship, the people mocked his power, verses 29 to 30. And those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So you who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Now there is no doubt, and we've, we know that the Gospels are full of his ministry where Jesus publicly demonstrated his miraculous power time and again. People had seen it. They had acknowledged it and understood the implications of the miracles that he did. From far and wide for more than three years, he had, they brought their families and friends and others, they carried them to Jesus. He healed their sick. He gave sight to the blind. He exercised, exercised demons from them. He, he fed the crowds and even raised the dead. Amazing miracles. Not even going to talk about walking on water, calming the storm. His miracles were obvious that most of them were public, they were credible, they were unmistakable. There is no other explanation. Even his enemies reluctantly had to acknowledge that they were authentic. Yet the scene at his trial and now at the foot of the cross demonstrate how fickle the crowd who wanted favours, who wanted healing, who wanted this and that, how fickle the crowd can be, how they can turn from shouting Hosanna, the son of David now. They could see his physical, his emotional pain and yet, instead of restraint, they heap more humiliation on him and ridicule. All walks of life, there they are hanging on the cross and as they walk past, because the crosses were put in public places, they weren't put in the backwater somewhere, they were there and as people walk past, they would be jeering, they'd be heaping more and more insults on them. They shook their heads. <laughs> look at you now. <laughs> ah, look at you. The Greek word that um, that Mark uses is uh, blasphemeo or to to blaspheme. That's the Greek word that Matt, that Mark uses. Remember that Jesus himself was accused of blasphemy by the authorities, calling himself the Son of God. But we ask ourselves, who are the real blasphemers here? In Matthew chapter 26, verses 52 to 53, we read, Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Listen to this. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say that, I, that it must happen in this way? 
Jesus, rather than a victim, he was totally in control of the situation. The mockery, the insults, the torture, that was all actually part of the plan. And even what was happening in the unseen world, in the heavenly realm, was under his control, under the Father's control. A Roman legion is usually composed of 6,000 soldiers. Simply do the sums and uh, how many legions? 12 legions? 12 sixes, 72. 72,000 angels ready and waiting for the call from heaven. All he had to do is But unlike humans on earth, angels in heaven actually do follow orders, instructions. They, they stood there. I'm sure they were, they were ready, they were waiting for the call. Just, just say it, just say it, come on, come on. The call didn't come. It didn't come until Sunday. And on Sunday, instead of 72,000 angels, only two were needed just to really show that the, the tomb was empty and to explain to, the, to Jesus' followers what had happened. It doesn't take many angels. Imagine all that firepower that can destroy, 72,000 angels can destroy not just Jesus' enemies, but the whole of the universe in a blink of an eye. And yet, he didn't because the scriptures had to be fulfilled. This is why he had to do it. And the religious leaders, they, what did they mock? They mocked his deity, verses 31 to 32. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, they mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. They were the ones who had been plotting all along that for a while now they've been plotting to get rid of this problem this person called Jesus they had enough of his teaching they had enough of his miracles they had enough of Jesus pointing out their hypocrisy they didn't like that and this is what John tells us in in John 11 verses 47 to 48 then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin What are we accomplishing, they said. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Now it seems that they finally got their man. And they mocked him by saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself. Well, this was intended as derision, It does in fact contain more truth than they were willing to recognise. He didn't save himself 
because he wanted to save others. The truth is, like I said before, he could have come down from the cross, but if he had saved himself, he wouldn't save us. And his mission was to bring glory to God by reconciling people to the Father. And if it cost him suffering, derision, even his life, he was willing to pay the price. Just remember, there's a good saying, I heard this, it wasn't the rusty nails that held Jesus to the cross. It was his unshakable obedience to the Father and his love for you and me. He chose to stay there, even though he didn't have to, because he could see the end result. He could already see the throne in heaven and all of us, all believers, all his children, worshipping the Lamb. That is what he could see. Finally, we come to our day today and and see the the trouble our world is in, which I've spoken about before. Uh, And the further that people move away from God, the, the more that God and the Christian faith is removed away from the centre of our lives in society, the more that it is pushed away to the edges, we will see more and more of this. Rather than society becoming kinder and better, we will see more of this. In in some ways, society doesn't even bother... (laughs) mocking our saviour anymore they just carry on as if he's not there years ago the late Oswald Chambers said this and it's so true all of heaven is interested in the cross of Christ, all hell is terribly afraid of it while men are the only beings who more or less ignore its meaning right And perhaps if you're here, if you're listening online, if you're watching, perhaps it's a little bit difficult to comprehend how you or I could possibly benefit both in the present and into eternity from a man who died on a cross 2,000 years ago. But he was no ordinary man. He was God and man. Study the evidence. I challenge you, study the evidence seriously for who he really was. Look at the cross and seek to understand how serious sin really is and all of its consequences. And then you would appreciate God's anger that was taken out on his very own son. But we're also grateful for his love toward us in that he was willing to sacrifice his own son for us because of his love. How great the Father's love for us. So we can identify with the mocking voices, but that just leaves us, I suppose, in in more 
and more despair and more guilt within if you just concentrate on the mocking voices. There has to be a circuit breaker. And what is the circuit breaker? It is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a circuit breaker to all the evil that is around us. We saw a film last Sunday here on what forgiveness does. Stops the evil continuing, the revenge. And in response to our mocking voices, we also hear the words from the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. That was said by Jesus from the cross. Now, a few weeks ago, in our series in Ephesians, I pointed out the only two ways that someone can be saved. You can save, by your, you can save yourself, you can try to save yourself, but that is impossible. Or you can be saved by someone else, which is what Christ has done for us. And because of pride, people, some people try to punish themselves for their sins pay their own sins through doing something that will appease, you know, and and set their minds upright because they have to get rid of their guilt. But that is also pride. That is also pride because you're not wanting to believe the promises of forgiveness that the cross, what he did on the cross, was for your sin and for mine. We cannot do it on our own. We need his forgiveness. We need to accept that through faith. And this is the heart of the gospel story. Let me finish with another story. It happened many years ago. A father and his daughter were walking through the grass on the Canadian, the Canadian grasslands in the prairie. And in the, in the distance they saw a, a fire, a prairie fire, and they realised that it would soon engulf them. The, the wind was coming in their direction and, and it was a vast area. And the father knew that there was only one escape. They, they would quickly begin a fire right there, right where they were, and burn a large patch of grass. And when the, the huge fire drew near, they then would stand in the section that had already been burnt. We live in Australia, there's a lot of bushfires, it's called... Back burning, it's called, you know, you point to the wind direction, it's a fire break. This is what they were doing. So when the flames did approach them, the girl was terrified, but her father assured her, the flames can't get to us, we are standing where the fire has already been. Folks, you and I don't want to talk about this, but there is a firestorm coming. And what firestorm is that? Well, it's called death. The valley of the shadow. It's hanging over us, all of us. None of us are going to get out of here alive, guys. You can either ignore that and pretend that you're going to live forever, or you can trust the Saviour and say, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow, I will fear no evil. Why? Because the the fire has already been. This is why Jesus went through death. And because he did that, 
on Sunday, we, his resurrection is our resurrection as well from the dead. We don't need to fear it because of what Jesus went through. I beg you, I plead with you to put your trust in the one who went before us in death. But he didn't stay there. He is alive. That's why we have a hope. A hope that no one else can give us but only Christ. Amen.